Welcome to the journey with Mpo Podcast, a sacred space for healing, love, and rediscovering your life purpose. Introducing your host, Mpo. Hello, JWM friends and family. In today's episode, we have the pleasure of hanging out with an award-winning artist, esteemed author, and self-driven entrepreneur. A native New Yorker born in Brooklyn, she has been the featured poet, speaker, facilitator at events in several states, including New York, California, Colorado, North Carolina. She has also performed at the National Black Theater in New York and was the featured poet at the Atlas Performing Arts Center in DC. Without further ado, I present to you Kim B. Miller. Maybe my pen can teach your pen how to swim, but you're so busy hating, you can't learn no lessons. You don't get to define me with your faulty ink. You don't get to decide I'm only good for haiku. You don't get to decide what I'm good for at all. The only thing you get to decide is what part of my shade you get to sit in. So have a seat and watch me slay on a stage that you swore I would never step on. You don't get it. I'm not fearful of what you say. I will never let you define me. The best you can do is hold my cape and make sure it doesn't get dirty. You can play Robin while I'm at bat. Man, I slaughter 17 syllables when I sleep. So when I get up and add some verbs and make it a poem, it's not that hard. You see, this poet can weaponize her words so quickly that you don't even know you've been cut until you get home. Don't complain about my verbiage. If what I say is so useless, why don't you use it less? Drinking my Kool-Aid but claiming not to like the flavor? You don't seem thirsty no more, though. My poetry is not open to debate. This pen and paper be Houdini and make pain disappear. All you need to do is take a seat in my pew. Watch my words take flight, penetrating souls and feeding minds. I'm a mailman. I deliver words. I'm a priest. I touch souls. I'm a doctor. My words perform surgery on your right and left cortex. I don't get played. I write the script. I walk around with this disease in my mouth trying not to infect you. My words give you purpose, but they also give subpoenas. You've been served. Never step into a poet's den unprotected. Your tongue can't save your ears from the verbalization of punishment that I can inflict. Yes, I can make you smile, but I can also make your thoughts bleed. I make stitches necessary while cutting open your closed-mindedness. I serve truth as an appetizer. The main course, wisdom. You don't get to pick from my menu, but know that everything I serve is food for thought. Ooh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello, 2019 Southern Fried Haiku Champion. Yay. My Thank goodness. <laughs> Here I am, like, biting my fingers. I'm like... Don't say anything. Don't interrupt her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm the mailman. I serve words. Say what? Yeah, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. So let's get this one out of the way. Which one came first? Full-length poems or haikus? We got to figure this yes, out from the back. The chicken or the egg. Um, <laughs> the full-length poems came first because I never heard of haiku. Be honest with you. Never heard of it. I was at an open mic once and a poet got up and started doing haiku. And I'm like, what is that? 
So I came home and researched it and here we are. So how long would you say it took you from full length poems to writing haikus so strongly? I say it took several months because initially I'm going to be really honest. I was not going to write haiku. Okay. Because they're so structured. And I was like, I could just write what I want to write. Who wants to go three lines? five syllables, seven mm. syllables, five syllables. Who wants to keep in that structure? I can just write whatever I want, how I want it. So I wasn't even going to bother with haiku. I wasn't, I wasn't going to bother. Huh. That's interesting. I don't bother with haiku too. <laughs> it's like, ah, it's too much work. <laughs> um, but let's get into this part. Every spoken word artist has a what led me to poetry story. What's your story? I'm, I'm going to go with a complete honest, I don't know. Um, if I had to pick, I'd say, you know, godly intervention, Jesus talking to my mm -hmm. mind, I'm a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, mm -hmm. don't take that any sort of way. I'm not one of those, you know, crazy Christians because they are crazy Christians out there. Um, <laughs> and I just think it was led. I think it was a gift. So uh, I think that's where it started because mm -hmm. I've always been writing. I, I've always been writing poetry okay. too, pretty early on, but to get serious about it, I'd say about seven years ago. What was the switch from just writing to taking it seriously? Another strange story. So, <laughs> so I was in New York and New York is a sort of place where it's like, you got it or you don't, you know, Harlem theater, yank you off the stage sort of atmosphere. Yep. So I said, well, let me go to Harlem. They'll tell me if I'm horrible or not and to stay my butt home. So, and I go to Harlem, do my poem. They absolutely loved it. Great feedback, nothing negative. And I stopped that day. When I say I stopped that day, I stopped writing. I stopped performing. I stopped everything mm -hmm. until I came to Virginia. And then I just felt like, you know, Jesus was telling me it's time to get started. I'm like, started with what? <laughs> so that's when poetry began again okay so seven years ago we start taking poetry very seriously yes but at what point then in your poetry career do you say to yourself okay now I'm gonna write a book because you're the author of like several published books right yes well people start saying do you have a book do you have a book and I'm like well, maybe I should write one. Mm -hmm. I'm like, maybe it's overdue. So then I had I'd written a parenting guide before that, but I'm like, maybe it's time to go into poetry and write a poetry book. What's the title of your first book? How to Love Your Kids More Than You Hate That Man. <laughs> it's a parenting oh. alienation book. <laughs> yes. It's the gospel. Yes. What are some of the highlights from that book? Now I'm intrigued. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It is. It is one of those. That book is about how a lot of times people break up. Breakups are common. Mm -hmm. The problem is that it became very, uh, I don't know what the word you want to use, overused, overlooked part, which is a title called parent alienation, which is when basically one parent, normally the mom, because mom normally gets custody, mm -hmm. uh, keeps the child from the other parent and was happening to a lot of men. So basically... I went in and told my story how I was hurt in my first relationship. Because I think a woman had to do it because if a man said it, it had been like, mm. oh, here comes another man with a self, you know, purposeful story mm. on how we shouldn't keep our kids from them. Mm. But when it came from a woman, it changed the subject. I'm saying, okay, I was hurt. I was cheated on. But I still didn't keep the kids away because the kids needed their father. Mm. So don't manipulate your kids. Don't make your kids pawn in your chess game with your mate. That didn't work out. I get that you're in hurt. I get that you're in pain. Mm. But we have to do what's best for our kids. Oh, man. I, I need a copy. I do. <laughs> yes. Um, but let me ask you this. Do you think that the book is translatable for men who are who have custody of their kids? Yes. I think it's irregardless of who it is. Mm. I geared it toward women. Men have read it and said, thank you so much. Mm. Um, people, kids who have been stuck in it, grown adults now have read it and said, thank you so much. Mm. So it really does help people to see the different sides mm -hmm. of what was going on and what is going on if they're still living it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how soon after the first book did you write the second book? Oh, it was years in between, I think at least five years. Yeah. So I took a good long break <laughs> before I went back into, let me write a poetry book. Yeah, it took a, it took a bit of time. Okay. So as a poet with your experience of writing books, how easy or difficult would you say it is to translate stage poems into book poems? 
That's a great question. And it, it can be difficult because people are so used to hearing your words that you're kind of trying to write it so they can read it that mm-hmm. way. So you'll see a lot of poetry say, why is that poem so long? Because we're trying to get you to see where to break in the reading the way we break when we pronounce it. Mm. So it's in the writing of it that we try to translate how to read it. It's not as difficult as I thought it would be Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I make them a little longer than necessarily I would have it on a paper so that that's more accessible for them to read. Mm -hmm. Do you have a preference for writing poetry books? Do you think haikus are a little easier because they're small and consumable in comparison to longer poems? No, I think the as far as writing, I always do both. If there's a poetry book mm-hmm. of mine, you're always getting three things. You're getting full poems, you're getting haikus, and you're getting chemisms, which are my sayings. So every poetry book of mine has all three because someone who's heard me has heard all three, even if they didn't know they heard all three. <laughs> <laughs> oh man chemisms am i saying that right mm. yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so do you have two more haikus to share in this segment here sure yeah. haiku and before i go on let me just give you a brief explanation as to what a haiku is for those listening yes, please. haiku is a very short poem consisting of three lines. The first line has five syllables. The second line has seven syllables. The third line has five syllables. A total of 17 syllables. It originates in Japan, ergo the name haiku. In Japan, is only on nature and flowers. The other countries decided to switch it up and make it on any subject. Really, that's the senraiu, but we still call it haiku or non-traditional haiku. Mm. So that's the short answer. So here we go, haiku. Strong women are not unbreakable. We just know you ain't the hammer. Haiku. Mm. Just because they're in your nest, that does not mean they want to see you fly. (laughs) So those are two of my favorites. Would you say (laughs) that there's a consistent, well, besides truth, would you say that there's a consistent theme in your poetry that you tend to fall to? definitely truth. Um, I want it to be truth in either a very touching way or a very in-your-face way. Mm. It's got to be one of the two. It can be soft and touching or it can be in-your-face, but it has to be something that resonates with me. If it doesn't resonate with me, I never give it out to you, if that makes sense. Okay, okay. So again, still on the books, I am an avid reader. I love books, so keep us on the books a little bit. But recently you co-authored a book entitled The Ultimate Guide to Self-Healing Volume 2. Without divulging any spoiler alerts, what are some of the highlights from this book? Oh, that's I love talking about that book. So that book is written by 25 healers. So you have 25 mm. different authors who first start off with telling their story, because I believe, as did all the authors, that you need to know where we're coming from so you know you're getting information from someone who's at least walked the talk. Mm. So we start off with our stories and we give you a tool, our tool, and we tell you how to use it at home. And that's another key point, not a tool that you have to go buy 15 things and then now you're healed, you know. it's. Each one has written their own truth, their own story, their own tool in a way that we hope will touch someone. I wrote chapter 15, which is recognizing your accomplishments for radical self-care. And my chapter goes into things like incremental accomplishments and things of that nature, things we often overlook. We are a journey-driven people, meaning we're only satisfied when we're at the end of the journey. We have to recognize every step we take toward the journey to appreciate the trip. That's very good. As an advocate for self-healing and then recognizing your accomplishments as a tool for self-care, those are things that I myself have been working through. And it's not easy. (laughs) It isn't. You know, it's never easy. people look at me and they say well you make it look easy and I say no you don't get to see when I'm doing the work 
the crying, yes. the purging, the dying, because sometimes it feels like you're dying mm-hmm. in the process of self-healing. Now, do you think that every individual at some point needs to self-heal or are there some people who've just never confronted any trials and tribulations and they need they don't need any healing i've had this the reason i ask is because i've had a conversation with a gentleman who seemed to think self-healing was meant for women Mm. and i was insulted and i i just (laughs) no self-healing is a journey that everyone walks unless they ignore it it's a consistent journey So you may have self-healed from this pain. And then once you heal from that particular pain or journey or issue, then you realize if it was covering up Hmm. A, B, and C. Now A, B, and C is looking at you going, hi. And you're like, Hmm. oh, you may have known about A, B, and C. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you were trying to get rid of the major trauma or the, or, you know, as I call it the squeaky wheel first before you worked on other things. But improving oneself is a journey that everyone must work on. It's not about what sex you are or what sex you claim to be, man, woman, mm. non-binary, whatever you call yourself is irrelevant. If you're not working on yourself, then you're not working. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> like, finally, you know, I was watching a documentary and it said that sometimes people have a hard time taking in other people's opinions because they surround themselves with people who have similar views and opinions. And so I had to think about that and go, am I so, do I have strong emotions over self-healing because I've surrounded myself with people who talk the talk and I'm not open to talking to people who don't talk the talk. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and it may be a lack of self, I call it self-analyzation. No one should know you better than you know yourself. And if you spend time self-analyzing yourself every day, you'll be fine-tuned with yourself to say, well, that, yeah, that's me. I need to work on that. Oh, sorry, your opinion doesn't count in that one. Nope, that's not me. But if you never do self-analyzation, you don't know what is right or wrong about you. You're just guessing. Hmm. And self-knowledge too, knowing what to take and what not to take, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Discernment. Yep. Learning. Mm. Consider the source. Is this person coming at me for my better good? Hey, you know, that last poem didn't sound well written. Is this someone who cares about how your poem sounds? Or is this someone you've never heard from in 20 years who's popping up now that you're getting a little notoriety saying, I don't like how that poem is written. Is this person a poet? Do they know how the poem should be written? So consider the source. Oh, okay. So back to poetry again. You describe your poetry as opinionated, blunt, thought-provoking, and real. Yes. Has it always been this way from the beginning, or did it take a couple of years to develop what we call your voice? Actually, I can honestly say it's always been this way. I've always kind of been Mm. the, you know, well, here's the truth. You know, I've learned to taper it a bit because, you know, being from the Brooklyn of New York, (laughs) we tend to be a little bit blunt. So I had to taper it so that it was poetry and not just, you know, beating people up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yes. It's always been that way. You say, you know, being from New York or being a New Yorker, we tend to be a little blunt. I appreciate that. That's like one thing that I miss. I think Shout out to New Yorkers. I love you guys. My late best friend was a New Yorker. And I did love the fact that she'd call me out. She'd be like, uh, no, it's like this and this. And I was like, well, I didn't ask for your opinion. She's like, well, I'm going to offer it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But I like being in spaces where people will tell you straight up what it is. Yes. And you can take it. You don't have to take it. But you get to develop a thick skin. And I feel like New Yorkers have that thick skin on lock. Yes. (laughs) We do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So a few more haikus. Let's go with three. We started off with two. Alrighty. Let's see. Three. Haiku. Stop talking about cutting people off. You know your knife ain't that sharp. Haiku. Chadwick had real black. Panthers, your folks spill your tea before you sip it. 
haiku. It's okay to be scared. Do it anyway. Scared people succeed too. be best friends yeah like i know you're like all the way there and i'm here but could we maintain like some sort of a friendship of course <laughs> so that last haiku makes me think about the fact that you highlighted in your bio you're a motivational uh -huh. speaker I always think about motivational speakers as people who have been through something and have never had a lot of assistance when they were going through that something. So now they want to be that someone who is there for that specific group of people for what they speak on. Is that true? I love that. That is very true for a lot of us. And some of us are just so geared toward helping people. We got to find a way to do it, but it's a combination. I would think of the both of them, but for me, it's actually a combination of the both of them. It's refreshing. It's a beautiful, it's like walking in sunshine to see someone who has changed their life based on something you said. It's, it's a feeling that it's, it's unexplainable. It really, as a poet, even I don't have the words for it. But it's, it's something that's uniquely beautiful to see someone get it, take it, plant it, water it, and then make their own plant off of a seed that you gave them. Sometimes I like to think of it as the reason why we're here. Because yes. it's a pouring out of self that mm -hmm. you basically will never get back. And mm -hmm. so you've given that one person who can, if they're young, like if they're in their early youth or teens and stuff, you've given a part of yourself that they will continue to give long after you have left. Yes. And it's just, it's phenomenal. It is. Let's talk about your co-teaching at the women's prison. Okay. How would you say poetry impacted these women's lives? The beauty of going into the program was it's a program started by Diabolically Haitian. And she has been working in this prison. And she says to me, you know, I'd love if you came down and, you know, taught classes and haiku, et cetera. And I'm like, sure. Mm. Went down there like, well, I'll probably do it for one class. Went down there and thoroughly enjoyed working with the women and then kept going and going and going. It was reason recently um, put on hold, obviously, due to COVID. Mm. So we're trying to figure out another way to do it. But working with women who come in and sit, initially have the words but don't have the voice to put the words to a voice is a unique experience. And to watch them learn how to write their pain out as opposed to doing it another way, to let the paper free them, mm -hmm. let the ink be their escape. It's, it's a beautiful journey. And then to watch them come from holding their head down, barely speaking their poetry to getting up and showcasing it because we have a showcase for them at the mm -hmm. end. And, you know, Diabolically Haitian has come up with this beautiful program. And to watch them do all that is just, it's awe-inspiring. It really, it's just amazing to watch them grow in their poetry. Would you say then that everyone is a poet, but maybe has lost their pen and paper and is too afraid to share their voice? Definitely. And there's a, there's a couple of, caveats to that, fortunately and unfortunately. So I believe personally that everyone is a poet. Not everyone is a spoken word poet. And people say, well, what's the difference? Now, depending on who you ask, <laughs> I'll tell you up front, you're going to get a different explanation. So I will give you my explanation. Mm -hmm. So a poet is someone who basically just reads their poem. No inference, no uh, actions in the voice, I call it action in the voice mm -hmm. chemism <laughs> not a real thing I, I, you know poets are always wordy i warn you now uh no action in the voice mm -hmm. so there's nothing wrong with being a poet by the way i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that i'm just saying the difference is a spoken word poet should make you try to feel their words mm -hmm. that's the difference that should be the difference 
as far as the ability to write it, I think a lot of people have it. And unfortunately, the poetry world has turned in some places, superb, beautiful, loving environments. And in other places, judgmental, clicky environments. Mm. And some of those judgmental, clicky environments have turned people off of poetry. Mm. The, for those of you who are not poets or spoken word poets, the, the heel that a lot of people stomp people on with is the, you don't have your poems memorized. Like you're not a poet mm. if you don't have your poems memorized. So some people have stopped performing poetry because they've been belittled because they don't memorize their poems, even if they are incapable of memorizing them, because let's face it, we don't know what people's problems are or reasons why they don't do it. Mm. I think it's more important that you speak your truth as opposed to me judging how you spoke your truth. I think you're going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm laughing, but you're speaking to a point that I myself as a poet have struggled with. I don't think of myself as a bad poet, but I've judged myself too harshly for not being able to memorize my poetry. And Mm -hmm. I used to be able to memorize my poetry back when I was younger. I didn't have life in front of me. You know, now I have Mm -hmm. four jobs and working weird hours and trying to do this podcast. And so there's seldom any time to like sit down and commit to memory work. Right. Um, you it wears down on you. You end up mm-hmm. feeling um, slightly inferior and being like, well, you know, there's like other great poets and people are like your poet. You're like, yeah, like I'm not that kind of a poet. I'm just a poet, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I I think there are very few, if any, safe, superb spaces left within the poetry community. I think Mm -hmm. more and more it's becoming a, you're either a spoken word poet or you're not a poet. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then there's that caveat, which I didn't even include. Yes. And the judgment has gone too far. And now you got poets judging themselves harshly. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who have medical conditions. That's why they can't memorize. And there's people who just don't like memorization. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. No one told Nikki Giovanni she wasn't a poet. No one Mm -hmm. told Maya Angelou she wasn't a poet. Mm -hmm. And for those you say, oh, they memorized a lot. A lot of them had air earpieces in or they had, you know, the the screen in front that told them the words. And Nikki blatantly always reads from her stuff. Mm-hmm. So if we if if I bought Nikki Giovanni and you wouldn't tell her to stop reading, stop telling younger poets or poets underneath her or poets who are trying that they can't. Mm-hmm. You don't judge poets. Poets judge themselves harshly enough. They don't mm-hmm. need you coming behind them. Mm-hmm. Actually I have a haiku on that. Uh, give it to us. <laughs> <laughs> Haiku. <laughs> and for those of you counting, they're on memory, so it may be a syllable off. Haiku. <laughs> Just because they don't poet like you poet, that doesn't mean they ain't poets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so how does this, so you have a business, right? So how does it work yeah. if I want your words on something like anything? that I could mm-hmm. put up in the house as a frame or a cup or a t-shirt that I could wear. Well, luckily I do all that because, you know, when you're trying to build your business, you expand it in a way that works for you. The way that worked for me was taking them and putting them in frames. Now I do all this myself because I'm too particular to let anybody else do it. Mm-hmm. So I design it with the picture. Sometimes I take the picture. Sometimes I use a stock picture. Uh, create it, put the font on, print it out myself and pick a frame for it. Normally it's only, if you look on my website for it, there's only one in that particular frame. You'll find the saying again, but not in that particular frame. I also take uh, canvases and do 3D work on it. Some I paint, some are already painted, some are blank. I fill in. It's, and as far as the t-shirts, yes, I have t-shirts with a lot of my sayings on it. Some I have pre-printed and some I have a company that does it for me. And they do my mugs and posters and all that good stuff okay i need that last haiku on a shirt so we gotta talk (laughs) (laughs) i may need a couple every time i meet a poet who's had the same experience on stage i may just give them the shirt and be like listen (laughs) here you go because i know and i saw that so i'm with you 
So for those of you who don't know or are not involved in the poetry community, poets don't make money, y'all. Like, it's ridiculous. Mm. I, it, mm-hmm. It's a gospel that I cannot preach enough. Like, the world has been enjoying poetry ever since Shakespeare put pen to paper. But we're only now beginning how to figure out to turn poetry into a lucrative career. So... As an artist, and I like to ask all the artists that come onto the show, Kim, what do you think are some of the ways people who want to support poetry can add the financial element as support to you as an artist? I'm so glad you asked that and mentioned that because a lot of people just assume we're doing well. (laughs) Um, Not so much. The beauty is, as of this date that we're recording this, I'm so happy that Brandon won America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. A spoken word poet won. So yeah. that brings poetry to the forefront. So that's a f- giant, great step for us. It was a win for him, and it was a win for poetry. Mm-hmm. As individual artists, like she described, oh, I can't tell you how many times we were invited to events saying, do it for exposure. Okay, No. Mm-hmm. Um, you paid the DJ, you paid the venue, and you definitely paid the caterer because they don't show up unless they get paid. Mm-hmm. So why not pay the poet? The poet, I it's an old expression. I don't remember where I heard it. The last horse over the fence is the poet. You'll pay everybody but mm-hmm. us. So if you really want to support someone, if you see a poet you like, if you see that artist and you're like, I would really like to support that individual, number one. If they have product, buy it. Buy it from them, not say an Amazon. When you say that doesn't make sense, it's on Amazon. Why shouldn't I buy it there? Okay, good question. Here's why. So Amazon and all the big companies like that take a huge chunk of the proceeds, even though the book is listed for the same price. By the time the artist gets the money, it's greatly reduced. An example, a book on Amazon that's $20, the artist could actually end up with, you are clearing me correctly, 50 cents. Hmm. Yes, a book, a $20 book on Amazon could actually end up with the profit for the author being 50 cents. That's possible. I'm not saying this happened with every $20 book. Please hmm. don't hear me incorrectly. If you buy it directly from the artist, that is the way they get the most money. So if you see a book and they say, buy it from me, don't go around and buy it from Amazon unless you, you know, obviously the artist is out of books or something like that. Because then mm-hmm. if we're out of books, we know, we'll do what we do. Mm-hmm. But that's why you'll hear people say, oh, get the book from me because it's better for them that way. If they have products, buy it from them. If you're hiring someone, make a budget for them. It really is fair that if you're bringing someone in, that they get paid for their work, just like you would like to get paid for your work. Mm. So would we. Yeah. And I think it's very important to during this time to point out that even though poets don't make any money sometimes or not much money, with events being closed and the pandemic affecting the world in very different ways, the poetry community was at least before the pandemic able to host events and then split the door money or whatever. But now there has been no income whatsoever. But there's worse as artists, we're still committed to offering our art to the world. So you've seen these Instagram lives. And a lot of the Instagram lives, I've seen the Cash app or um details for the artist or whoever's performing in the little saved comments box thing go ahead and support guys even if it's like ten dollars you know if there's 10 of you guys watching that live and you each pop ten dollars guess what that's a meal or two for a couple of days that's gas money you know so absolutely please 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 support our artists in any way you can but preferably financially. I'm going to put it out there because they will, poets will never say, sometimes I've met people who are like, eh, well, I need support. I need support. And they're not talking about what kind of support I'm saying to you, support these artists financially, put your money where your heart is. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So how important do you think it is for poetry or even the poetry community to be committed to delivering the gospel of truth? 
I think is very relevant because for some people, that's their way of breathing. Mm. I wrote my truth. I said my truth. I exhaled. I'm good now. It's their way of expression. It's their way of getting it off their chest. It's their way of speaking without speaking. It's their way of saying something on the subject without saying something on the subject. Because ultimately, you can just say it was a poem. Mm. I didn't say that. I didn't say that was my views. You know, I write a lot of poetry on parenting. I had two phenomenal parents. I was blessed in the parents' department. Father has since died. My mom is still here. Thank you. Mm. Um, thank you, Lord. Um, so my problem has never been parenting, but since I have a, I teach parenting classes and I talk a lot with parents, a lot of my poems are on horrible parenting. So people automatically assume, wow, she must have grew up in a horrible environment. No, I grew up in a phenomenal environment, but not everybody has. And people like to hear stuff that identifies with them, that kind of like they are being heard. I've done a poem of mine that's really hard to say. And, you know, a lady came up to me crying after and she goes, that was my story. Now you think she'd be like horrified that I happened to have done it, but she was, it was kind of freeing for her. So mm. it, it can be a combination of things. It could be a combination of our personal truth, but poets do write about things that we did not personally encounter. Just an FYI for those of you who think we only write about our own lives. Poetry is bigger than that. <laughs> Personally, I don't have the kind of imagination, so <laughs> I just write about stuff that like true to me, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and that's why sometimes I take big breaks from poetry. You know, um, an artist that I was hanging out with a couple of days back used the term "prostituting your trauma," right? Because when you spend a lot wow. of time writing about how you are feeling and the kind of emotions and relationships and traumas that you go through and night after night, poem after poem, you're prostituting your trauma. It's not healthy. It's not hmm. ideal. <laughs> Have you ever heard the term before? No, I've never heard it. And I can understand how it can be used, but for some people it's their medicine. So mm. if it's medicine for you and prostitution for someone else, don't take a prostitute when you're using a medicine. Use what works for you. Such a great point out too. Yeah. Because I think it is medicine for some people to have that release mm -hmm. and to continue to share their stories. Yep. Different ways to look at it. Oh, man. <laughs> good call out. Good, definitely good call out, you know, because someone may say, okay, well, I always write about my trauma. Should I not be writing? Should I start psychoanalyzing myself? Is this good for me? Is it not good? But if you've always been feeling good about sharing your poetry, even though it's trauma-based, hey, keep right. doing it. It's a release for you. Right. Now, if you want to switch the subject sometime, that's fine too. But mm. I hate to tell people, I'm really picky about telling people what to do with their pen. Hmm. Like what to do with their lives. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, if it if it resonates, but I tell people if something that someone says resonates, there may be a reason. Maybe that was talking to you in a way you needed. Maybe you needed to hear that message to go on to another subject. So I don't say negate it. Don't don't hear me say that. I'm saying think about it. If it fits you, do that. If it doesn't fit you, then keep moving. Because sometimes what one person calls it doesn't mean that's truth for you. Hmm. Okay. I'll take that too. So am I pushing it if I say four haikus? Oh no. Okay. Not at all. <laughs> Haiku. Can't drown out problems with liquor, needles, or pills. Pain will wait for you. Hmm. Haiku. Companionship is not a solution to pain. Don't give love a job. Haiku. Once you find the right king, you won't have to play chess. He won't want the pawns. Haiku. Milkshakes may bring boys to the yard, but real men are going to want food. <laughs> oh. 
(laughs) (laughs) Tell me a little bit about the second one, the backstory to the second one. I'm intrigued. Sometimes we use love as a crutch and love was never meant to be a crutch. People say, oh, 50-50, there's no such thing as 50-50. You're a whole person. That person is a whole person, a hundred, a hundred. I've seen people be like, I need so-and-so to make me happy. I need so-and-so to give me joy. No, that's, you're giving them a job. Companionship is not a job. They can make you happier. They can make you more joyous, but they can't be the initiator of your joy. They can't be the initiator of your happiness. That's a job for you and God to do. And if you don't believe in God, that's a job for you to do. But someone else can't be your everything, chemism. You can't make someone your everything because that makes you nothing. Can't do it. Hmm. Hmm. Haiku. If you give someone the key to your joy, when they leave, they can take the lock. Yikes. Oh, man. Whereas if you had joy before they came in and they only made it more joyous, when they leave, you still got joy. Hmm. I'm thinking about dependency versus, I think the term is codependency versus Mm -hmm. loving someone. A lot of people are in codependent relationships instead of love relationships. This person does this and this and this for me. Therefore, I don't have to think about those things or I don't have to worry about those things. And in the dating phase, that's phenomenal because it feels like courtship. Right. But long-term, it's disabling. Yes. Because if that person dies or that person leaves, you are no longer in a position to do those things for yourself. And whoever comes in next, if anyone does, you're tasking them with the responsibility of doing those things. Exactly. They're they're coming in to make you whole, make me whole, make me feel right, make me feel enough, make me feel, fill in the blank, whatever your need is. And that's a job. And companionship is not a solution to pain. It's not. I'm slowly digesting these things. I'm taking them in <laughs> because I'm like, man, we got to do another episode. This is what this is. There's so many themes coming up in this one episode. <sighs> Let's talk about your creative experiences, both in writing books and poetry. Do you ever have creative blocks? I, 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 I'm going to say this and I don't want any hate people. I don't. No. I don't have. I know. I know. I hate saying that. I normally, I dodge that question when people ask me because people are like, "What? How dare you? <laughs> what are you talking about?" So no, I don't. If if I don't write, it's only because I choose not to write on that given day. I just don't. Now with that, it doesn't mean that every time I sit down, I finish my complete poem. I always get it done. Boof, it's done. No. That's not what it means. It means that I can write every single day. Every single day I can create something. Every single day I'm tweaking something. And if I don't, it's because I chose not to. It's a beautiful gift. I do not take it for granted. I do not brag on it. And I very seldom talk about it because I know a lot of people struggle in that area. And I don't want them to think that they're lesser than because they don't have the same problem. This is where people get into that thought of, well, well, why do I? It's not because you're not as good as me. It's not a comparison contest. This is just one of the gifts that I have that I'm very grateful for. If you don't have this gift, you're not lesser than me. I'm not better than you. This is just one of the gifts I have. You have beautiful gifts yourself that I don't have. I just need people not to worry about comparison and work on embracing what they have and working on what they have, and expanding what they have. Hmm. That's amazing. You're probably the first poet I speak to that's never had a creative block, and it is a blessing. But I also think about when you were expressing that, I thought about being in alignment with yourself, understanding yourself. You say to me, I don't 
I have days where I write and I have days where I don't write. And I think Mm -hmm. classifying the days where you don't write as creative block isn't necessarily that you're experiencing a creative block. It's that maybe you're not in the flow of writing that day because there are days when you get home and there's a poem and you toss your bag on the couch and you're like, I've got to get a paper. Someone. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So (laughs) hit me with some haikus. Let's go five again. All right. Haiku. Get counseling. Your mate is not your therapist. They are your victim. Hmm. Haiku. Dear people, stop looking for the help you want and be the help you need. Haiku. Let's Shakespeare up. To be shot or not to be shot. That's what Black's question. Hmm. Haiku. Please recognize your accomplishments or you will label them failures. Haiku. Didn't earn my respect. Can't even spell respect without Aretha. Haiku. They thought they broke you, but you're a glow stick. They just exposed your light. Hmm. Is that five or am I one more? I'm not counting. I'm consumed by your work. <laughs> I'm just like, keep it going. I'm not even counting. Let's keep it going. Haiku. My people. Stop looking for the help you want and be the help you need. Hmm. Haiku. So, you don't think you have privilege. That doesn't mean you don't use it. Haiku. When strange fruit becomes fruit, does a forest become a cemetery? Haiku. I had to do one on the <laughs> Jada Will situation. Oh, here we go. Haiku. <laughs> what does a Will look like after he's been jaded? Entangled, but rich. me asking how old are your kids <laughs> my kids let's see just turned who did she just turn the big three oh and 26 i think yeah 26 do they enjoy your poetry <laughs> under once they have one stipulation <laughs> nothing sexual mom <laughs> The first one about turning your mate into your therapist make, yes. makes them a victim. Do you think there's a balance between your partner helping you through your issues and your partner becoming a therapist? Is there a fine line between those two? I think there is. It's great, you know, because that's your your soft place to fall, as I call it. So it's, there should be some intimacy there, some things the other person only knows. So all that is total normal relationship stuff. But when you notice you really have a problem and they say to you, have you thought about counseling? And you get defensive and, you know, I have you and that's what you're for and blah, blah, blah. No, that's not what they're for. They're there be your mate not your therapist. So it's okay to get help. You know, sometimes we think, you know, getting counseling is some sort of curse word. You know, counselors are excellent. Getting mental health checks are excellent. No place else would you have, you broke your leg. Would you say, oh, I'm not getting any help. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, that's ridiculous. I'm going to the doctor. Well, mental health is health. Get, get health, Mm -hmm. get healthy. I'm not going to say anything to that. I second all of everything she said. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Everything's... So 
before we end the session and we'll end it with you doing a couple of more haikus to get shot or not to get shot mm -hmm. such an important time in american history yes because shootings are not a new thing police brutality isn't a new thing for america now mm -hmm. living in south africa i didn't know this all i saw mm -hmm. was the big movies celebrities and wow america is super peaceful and lovely to live in <laughs> where do you think the turn happened what what was it that I finally tripped the switch on the facade that used to be america before i think access is the key when i say access i think the ability of black people or people of color because it's not just african-americans it's mm. people of color but you know i'm going to stick on the subject of black people i think the issue now is or what the turning point is or was is cameras cell phone cameras mm -hmm. and cameras in general the ability to document what you say happened or is happening as opposed to saying this happened to me where's your proof where's your proof where's your proof for people who were looking for disbelief, proof was their crutch. That was their excuse. That was their way of erasing everything someone of color said and invalidating it. You have no way of proving that. Sure. How do you know you're just saying that? Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Also, they've been brainwashed and they don't realize they've been brainwashed. And I say that to say this for people who say, oh, here she goes. Hear me out for this small point. What other historical event are you told to forget? Are you told to, to forget the Holocaust? Of course not. Are you told to forget 9-11? Of course not. But black people are told to forget slavery and to get over it. Mm -hmm. Well, why aren't we giving over these other events then? If it's if all the past is to get over, then we shouldn't be celebrating, acknowledging any past events. Mm -hmm. So don't tell people to get past slavery and then say never forget for any other event. Mm -hmm. So that's why I talk about the brainwashing. I don't even think people realize that they've been brainwashed in that way, that they're doing that, that they'll celebrate 9-11 and then on 9-12 tell someone, oh, why, why are you saying slavery? Get over it. Did you get over 9-11? And I'm not saying get over 9-11. As a New Yorker, it was a painful event. But I'm saying be careful how your mind or how you've allowed your mind to be manipulated into thinking that certain events are relevant and should be honored and certain events shouldn't. That's one. Two, the, the cell phone opened up an avenue of proof that was undeniable for people to turn away from. For some people. Some people are going to believe what they want to believe, how they want to believe it. But for me, I think the cell phone, phones in general, and cameras is what really turned it around mm -hmm. for people who had a disbelief factor. Yeah. It's interesting that you say don't tell people to forget because it's the same struggle we have in South Africa with apartheid. You know, there is mm -hmm. the Employment Equity Act that prioritizes the employment of minority groups, mainly black people in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And so, well, you have all these opportunities. Why are we still talking about apartheid? But <laughs> we get into the same arguments apartheid the abolishment of apartheid didn't it didn't end there i still right. have a grandmother who till this day has never driven a car because she went to school and she was taught that she was going to be house help and she needed an english name so that her white masters could say her name and she right. was never going to be anything so yeah apartheid is over but here we are the grandkids having to help mm -hmm. our grandmother and let her know cars aren't terrifying you can sit in the front seat it's not going to blow up it just moves i, I don't right. think people recognize the psychological part when they say why are you still complaining i'm like uh, am right. i in a different world are we like not living <laughs> in the same place maybe that's what it is like maybe other people are from different planets and we're just like mixing 
I call it the privilege of equity. What, what that is, because you know, poets can't do saying <laughs> that be too easy. The privilege of equity is you have had, and I forgot, I saw it somewhere online explained it perfectly, but basically your family has had whatever, how many, let's just say a hundred for both sides is more than a hundred, but I'm just going to use a round number of a hundred. Yeah. You've had a hundred years of privilege. With that privilege, you were able to build this company. With that company, you were able to have this amount of money. With this money, you were able to build this. With this money, you were able to buy this car. With this money, you were able to buy this house. And the trickle-down theory of that privilege, you have these following things. So does your generation, so does your family, so does your grandmother, etc. I don't have that on this side. So the fact that you stopped hitting me over here and I can go anywhere, I've lost a hundred years of the privilege that you are now benefiting from. You haven't made equal equity for the privilege you had for the last hundred years. So you saying forget, forget, just forget is ridiculous. But let's say we were willing to forget. There's no equity in forgetting. One, there's no equity financially, physically, um, in the hierarchy for us and our family because we're still behind a hundred years. Hmm. You gave us, you collected generational wealth and left us with generational curses. Yes. That's what it is. It, yes. And your solution to that is forget about it. <laughs> well, your grandparents fly <laughs> to Europe and London. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Off of free labor that our grandparents or great grandparents or great great grandparents or whoever provided, which they're not paid for, which they got nothing for. After it was over. Oof. I'm still pissed. How <laughs> and lit. I just want to let it be known to the podcast audience. At least seek to understand. Don't yes. blanket statements say forget or it's not happy. Do not ever in any situation discount the experiences of anyone because they're theirs and you don't know or you may never know those experiences so at least listen y'all just yes hear me out you know because while you're and and, and it it has a it will sound bitter because it does have a bitter element to it while your family is flying all over the world and has access to money and resources the job that i work i have to split my income to help my family that went through this never got the necessary education never got the job that could get them the medical benefits so now they're elderly they need to get taken care of so while you're doing that i'm here doing this so yes there's a bit there's an element of bitterness and it turns into venom when you do say forget it because it's every, it's in my face every single day. It's it's not going anywhere. So Exactly. And even if you didn't if you're not one of the ones who are well off, you still had the privilege of the benefit of the privilege that we didn't get privileged to. <laughs> I know that was too much privilege for some people to get, but basically if you're not rich and, and you still are struggling, you were still ahead of where we were left off. Fair enough. That's a short version. Yep. Of it. That's where it ends. That's where it ends. Okay. Let's we're gonna do some haiku. Haiku. <laughs> Let's speak truth. Some of you were a virus before Corona came out. <laughs> Haiku. Be who you are, not to impress, but to inspire. Let your greatness drip. Haiku. We make everything about race because race is about everything. Haiku. Him. You ain't nothing. Me. I was nothing. That's why I picked you. Bye, boy. Haiku. Stop congratulating folks you have no intention of support. 
haiku. How many times do you have to fall before you stop tripping yourself? Haiku. Stop blaming men for having baggage when you have a storage unit. Haiku. If you're going to help someone, help them. Facebook don't need to know that chapter. Haiku. In order for her to be a gold digger, don't you have to have gold? <laughs> Haiku. How come super is a man, but we have to wonder about woman? Haiku. When you say soulmate, are you referring to your Jordans or house shoes? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so before we let you go, your links, online store, your website, your Instagram handles, will be available in the comments section of the episode as per usual but is there anything else you want people to be aware of or to know about any final words too i will leave you with a chemism which is a saying since all my information will be found online i'll leave you with this chemism maybe the grass is greener on the other side because you have nothing to do with maintaining it. The grass is not always greener on the other side for no reason. Is it really greener or is it because it has nothing to do with you? Mm. Thank you so much, Kim. I Thank have you. thoroughly enjoyed our time together. I wish you were here in person so that we would have that human connection, but this will do for now. Me too. Thank you so much for sharing your words, your thoughts so freely and for sharing your laughter and your joy because even though you have that element of truth, you still have that element of light in you. You know, there's a lightheartedness that makes the truth digestible. <laughs> so it doesn't, you know, maybe it's just me. Maybe other people are like really upset. They're like, well, I'm in my feels now. Whatever. <laughs> I'm talking about me. <laughs> Um, thank you so much. I appreciate you, you as an artist. I bless your journey and hope that it continues to spiral into different parts of the world, into different avenues, because I do strongly believe that the world needs to hear your voice and your words. Aww, they are you. deliverance, you know, um, your passion when it comes to comparing yourself to other people is healing in so many ways i loved when you brought those parts up so i thank you so much you've thank given you. me a lot to think about and i hope that the audience has gotten some things to think about too from this perfect thank you so much i appreciate you <laughs> all right that is it from me jwm family as i usually say until then, maholo kwe kiyotaba ribuile. Aloha.